Welcome once again to another episode of today's survival show. This is White Bear filling in for Bob this week. I'm here to help Bob show you how to do what you can with what you have wherever you are. Also, as Bob says, this is a no tinfoil hat show, trying to keep it as real as we can to bring you, the listener, the best possible information available. I hope that the listeners will bear with me and that I do Bob and his Today's Survival Show podcast justice, and I want to give Bob many thanks for letting me help him do by doing this episode. As I'm sure you know, Bob received some bad news last week. As if things weren't already tough enough for Bob and his family, he's now involved in the toughest fight he'll ever face, the fight for his very life. And I think I speak for the entire Today's Survival Show and Handgun World Show family when I say, Bob... We wish you a quick and speedy recovery so that you can get back to doing what you do best, this and your other podcast. If you would like to send Bob get well wishes, you may do so by going to the todaysurvival.com. Remember, there are two S's in today's survival. Click on the forum link and either log in or register. If you're newly registered, send Bob an email at bob at todaysurvival.com and Bob will approve your account as soon as he's able. He generally gets you approved within 24 hours, but please be patient if it takes a little longer as Bob is very busy with other tasks at hand. Bob does his registrations this way so as to keep spammers off the forum. And let me tell you, there is a great group of people on the TSS forum with lots of great topics and really good information that you can glean from a lot of really knowledgeable people. Now, some of you may remember that back in episode 205, Bob talked to Zach and Jeff from Bug Out Truck, and they discussed how to prepare your vehicle for bugging out or just everyday preparedness. Well, this week I'm going to talk about bug out vehicles primitive style. Any of you that have listened to episodes 182, 206, 229, or the last three episodes, 238, 239, and 240, know that I'm a primitive skills guy, and I live my life doing more with less. I live and teach self-reliance, and I do the same with my vehicles. Now, before we get into the main subject, let's talk about the necessity of a bug-out vehicle, or BOV, as they're so eloquently known. Uh, You know... Prepping and and self-reliance has become a mainstream topic, and more and more people are getting prepared for when the stink hits the fan. For many people, though, the stink has already hit the fan. Many people are living in their vehicles as they've lost their homes due to the economic downturn. You know, society, for those of us that grew up in the 60s, 70s, and early 80s, is far different from the you know those that are growing up today. Uh, there's two sides of the coin. Those of us that grew up in the earlier generations, who are the providers for our family, you know, really have a different take and view on those that are growing up today and the way things are. I mean, it's becoming commonplace to see people living their daily lives in an RV, be it a Class A, B, or C, or a camping trailer being pulled behind some type of vehicle. Or maybe a pickup truck with a camper permanently mounted in the bed. I've been seeing a lot of people living in cars. Yes, cars. And I'm not talking about some big old Cadillac or station wagon. I'm talking little Hondas, Nissans, Toyotas, and some minivans. And let me tell you, they're called minivans for a reason. Some of the vehicles, be they trucks or cars, even have a trailer in tow. And they're packed to the hilt with all their chattels 
waiting for the day that they might be able to once again move into a house. For those people, they already have their BOV and are utilizing it daily out of necessity. While there's a lot of people that are driven by the romance of prepping and building their preps, including a BOV, there is no romance in it for those that have no option but to live in their rolling abode. And I must tell you, living in a car is not something I've ever tried, nor would I be up to doing so personally. I've seen women with small children, families, and even a couple with two dogs, big dogs, living in a Nissan Sentra with the trunk and back seat packed very tightly with everything they own. I don't envy those that have been forced into living this way, but sometimes situation dictates necessity. And I do have a lot of respect for those that have been forced to subsist this way, and I wish them all the luck in the world. As I said earlier, with the romance of prepping or stockpiling preps, one can get overly caught up in buying, organizing, and stockpiling. And we need to remember and keep in mind that we need to keep it simple and acquire only what is necessary. As a primitive skills guy, I travel extensively teaching my courses all around the country, and I get asked quite often about the type of vehicle I drive and my opinion on what makes the perfect BOV. The first thing that I try to determine is what the needs of my inquisitive questioner are. The first thing that I generally talk about is vehicle platform. From there, we can build upon that base to come up with a suitable BOV for their needs. So what makes the best BOV platform? You know, there's always the great debate about the best type of vehicle to use for a bug out vehicle. Gas versus diesel, car versus truck versus RV, etc. Throughout the years and the tens of thousands of miles that I travel every year, vans have always suited my needs perfectly. Why? Well, let me give you some examples. Um, vans are large enough to hold all your gear that you might need during a bug out. They're inconspicuous enough to go pretty much unnoticed in any area. There are so many vans on the road that just about any area you live, uh, whether it's low income, middle income, high income, you'll see vans around. So they're pretty innocuous as far as being able to fit in with uh, the surroundings. They're easier to convert into a super deluxe BOV if you so choose. You can get them in either gas or diesel, and they can be found or transformed into four-wheel drive pretty easily. A little bit of expense, but they're pretty easy to transform. You know, these are just a few examples, and I'll talk more about vans as a viable BOV just a bit later. So another question is, what is the next best choice for a BOV after a van? And I think my next choice for a good BOV would be a pickup truck and a camper mounted in the bed. You know, pickups are very sturdy. They come in either gas or diesel and are readily available in four-wheel drive. And nowadays, pickups come in cab and a half and double cab, the four-door configurations, so there's plenty of room for the entire family and pets to ride comfortably up front. Another benefit to a pickup is that you can detach the camper and use the bed if needed. Then when you need to move on, reattach the camper and you're on your way. So between a van and a pickup, you have to consider the engine that you want. So what's the better choice, gas or diesel? And this is a hotly debated topic amongst prep, the prepper community. 
I've even seen guys come to blows over which is better, gas or diesel. But in my opinion, there is no contest. Diesel wins hands down. And I'll tell you why. Diesel is much more versatile than gas. Easier to work on? Yes, I said easier to work on because they are. They run on multiple fuels. Diesel, of course. Then there's waste vegetable oil, used motor oil, and kerosene. Uh, Gas engines will run on gasoline and alcohol. Um, Now, you have to be able to find alcohol to begin with. And if you run an average gas engine on alcohol for too long, you will burn out the valve seats and even eventually score the pistons, which once you do that, the engine isn't going to run very well or for very long. Um, Alcohol burns too hot, but for short periods of time, alcohol will work, again, if you can find it. So let me give you a little background and history on the diesel engine. In 1903, when Rudolf Diesel invented his namesake, he did so using waste vegetable oil. No, waste vegetable oil, or WVO, is not a new idea. The invention of the diesel engine was predicated on the idea of using the overabundant amount of used vegetable oil that was around at the time. With the boom of restaurants in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, people didn't know what to do with all the excess used cooking oil they had. Well, Rudolph had the crazy notion to use it to power an engine, and hence the birth of what I believe is one of the greatest engines available to modern man. Now, with that being said, the better engines for burning alternatives to diesel fuel are engines built pre-2000, and the best engines are the mechanical diesel engines pre-1994. And you're probably wondering, well, why has it taken so long for diesel to come around? Well, when Rudolph invented the diesel engine on the waste vegetable oil, the oil barons of the time did not like that at all because waste vegetable oil was free and it was cheaper. Um, The engines were much easier to work on and the oil barons could not have this. So they kind of uh, quashed the idea of the diesel engine until after World War II when they kind of came back into vogue, so to speak. Now, the mechanical engines, which is how they started out, um, once they are started, they will run as long as you feed them fuel and not shut off until you stop them. They're just, you know, absolute workhorses. They don't need computers or electronic gadgets uh, to keep them alive. Simply changing the filters and a good supply of fuel. And as far as power, well, you can't be a diesel engine for power. There aren't any gas engines that can compete. And you might be asking why. Well, Gas engines need combustible spark to gain power. That's where you have the spark plug giving off an electrical charge and then the gas being pushed into the chamber and that electrical spark ignites the gas and and creates the power. And spark combustion simply cannot compete with the pressure combustion that takes place in a diesel engine. And what happens is the oil gets heated up. Uh, it gets shot into the, the top of the cylinder, and when the piston comes up, it, it pushes and causes the heat and the combustion that gives the engine the, its power. And uh, that's why semi-trucks, also known as tractors, are diesel. They can pull more and go further on uh, fuel than their gas counterparts. Um, this is also why diesel engines are used in military vehicles like tanks due to their superior port horsepower excuse me, and longevity of life. Diesels can go three times the miles of gas with less maintenance and easier maintenance when needed compared to gas. 
Okay, okay. Uh, on the topic of engines, I digress. Um, but now that you have thought about what engine, now you need to think about which transmission. And as I'm a primitive guy, I too go primitive with my vehicles, like I said. Uh, what I mean is I look for or I install manual transmissions in my vehicles. And probably a lot of people are scratching their head wondering why. Well, manual, while it does take a little more work, you have to shift the gears. Um, you know, manuals give you, or some people call them standard transmissions, for those of you that don't know what, what I mean by manual. Uh, manual or standard transmission give you better mileage. They run cooler, are easier to work on, require less maintenance, are cheaper to get fixed should they need to be, are cheaper and easier to replace, again, should they need to be. And if you're towing with your vehicle, you don't need a transmission cooler, which is another part eventually due to fail. Also, if you get your vehicle stuck in mud or snow, etc., rocking the vehicle with a manual trans is much safer and easier, and there's less chance of burning up the trans than with an automatic. Now, you've gotten your engine, you've gotten your transmission, your drivetrain is set, but you need to turn the wheels to get your vehicle moving. So, you know, what type of tires and wheels should I use? Well, tires are another hotly debated topic amongst preppers and vehicle aficionados. And personally, I prefer the most aggressive tread that I can use for both on and off road. Um, you know, when I'm traveling on the highway, I might need to go off road into the back country at a moment's notice. And I don't want to be wondering, are my tires going to be able to handle the stresses of being off-road. So my personal preference uh, are Cooper Discover STT. That would be my first choice. BF Goodrich Radial Mud Terrains, my second choice. Big O Bigfoot XTs, my third. And last but certainly not least, Goodyear Wrangler MTRs. Again, these are my personal preference. And why do I choose these over others? Well, as I said earlier, I travel tens of thousands of miles per year, and I've used all four of the aforementioned tires. They all hold up very well, have held up very well, and lasted well beyond their stated mileage um, ratings and give me the best miles per gallon for their respective uses. As for wheels, I prefer steel over aluminum. Uh, steel is stronger, stands up to abuse better, and are less likely to be stolen. Um, aluminum wheels can be damaged quite easily, rendering them useless. And also, aluminum wheels are generally fancier and draw people's attention, maybe to the point of being stolen off your BOV while you're away from it. And that's no bueno. Now, we've got to consider the other aspect of the vehicle, and that's, you know, a lot of people have vehicles with all the bells and whistles. And, uh, you know, again, I'm a primitive guy, so, uh, you know, I kind of look for vehicles with manual windows, manual locks, etc. You know, power accessories re require wiring and electronics, and they can fail or break. And, you know, if your locks or windows fail on some vehicles, you can't use them. I mean, you know, if it power windows, you absolutely can't use them. So if your window breaks in the down position, you can't get it up. Well, you're kind of screwed if you're in the elements. And if your locks don't work, well, you're not able to lock up your possessions, and that's not a good idea either. So manual locks and windows, they only need human power to work. Um, they're very low failure rate. Uh, they're not as prone to failure. Um, 
And let's say something like the scissors lift that, that fails lifting and lowering the window on a manual window. If that breaks, it's pretty simple to replace one of those um, and a whole lot cheaper. And, you know, if you have to replace a power window solenoid or motor or a solenoid for the locks, um, it can get expensive. And if you're not really sure what you're doing, then, you know, it, it becomes very costly if you have to take it somewhere to get it fixed. Uh, manuals, they're, they're very simple uh, to either fix or replace. And uh, you, you want something that's ease of maintenance. You don't want a lot of maintenance and you know it's like having a high maintenance woman if you're going to be going uh, out in the woods you don't want a woman that wears all the makeup and high heels and perfume and has to have her curling iron and blow dryer well that's kind of the same thing with a vehicle you want something that's very low maintenance you don't uh, you don't need all that especially if you're in a bug out situation but i do recommend finding uh, a vehicle or vehicles with air conditioning uh, especially if you live uh, in, in an area that is hot or very arid and uh, you're going to be or you're going to be traveling to such a place during a bug out. You know, while it's not a necessity, most people nowadays are so acclimated to being in air conditioning during the summer that they would have a hard time maintaining without it. So I would suggest having it and not needing it, if possible, instead of needing it and not having it, especially if you have small children or pets. Um, you know, they can they can succumb to the heat very easily. So you want to want to be able to keep them cool. All right, now that uh, I've covered the previous topics, let's get back to vans as a top option for a BOV. Um, you know, basically a van is a rolling storage unit. Um, they're easy to pack and fill with the gear you'll need. Uh, you can sleep in them quite easily. Um, I've had up to four adults in mine and uh, we've slept quite comfortably, no problem. Um, I keep all of my gear in plastic storage totes. And I buy those uh, Rubbermaid, the black totes with the yellow flat lids. They stack quite easily. They hold a lot of weight. They don't buckle under the weight of being stacked on, uh, under another tote. And, uh, you know, totes really help keep things organized. I label them so that I know what's in them. I stack them with the least used totes and heaviest totes on the bottom and the lighter and most used on top. And for my bed, I take six totes to use as the base for my bed platform that my futon mattress lays on. Uh, and if I need to make an extra bed, I simply take three totes, uh, set them end to end, and place a piece of plywood on top with an inflatable camping mattress on top of the plywood. And there you have a ready-made single bed ready for a guest. Um, now for food storage, I use some of the totes, but I also have two 150-quart coolers. One houses a lot of my dry goods like flour, beans, rice, etc. And the other for my uh, perishable cold items like eggs, milk, mayo. And uh, I use dry and block ice to keep everything cold and fresh. Um, generally, three blocks of ice and five pounds of dry ice lasts about seven to ten days, depending on the weather outside. But in winter, I need no ice because it, uh, it stays cold enough uh, that I don't have to keep any ice on hand to keep my perishables from perishing. Um, you know, you could build permanent storage into your van like you see in conversion vans, but if you need to leave your vehicle and you have uh, a couple of fold-up dollies that they sell, you could stack your coolers and your totes on the dollies, strap them down, and away you go. Roll them down the street behind you uh, to get to a different location or whatever. 
But if you have everything stored in cabinets and cubbies, then you might have to abandon a lot of your gear and preps that you have in your BLV. Um, you know, if, if there was a stink hit the fan situation that you needed to evacuate immediately and you couldn't take your vehicle and you have to grab stuff, you know, if you have stuff all stashed away in cupboards and cabinets and cubbies, then you might not be able to get everything. You, you know, you have to have something to carry it in. You have to pack it all up. You have to try to haul it out of there. Where with the storage totes, like I said, you open up the dollies, you slide them under, you strap the, the totes and the coolers on, you get out the vehicle and you go. Uh, it's just that simple. And, you know, these are just a few reasons why I prefer a van as my main mode of transportation. So what other kind of vehicles could be used as a BOV? Well, as I mentioned, I see a lot of people with uh, pickup trucks with campers on the back. Um, you know, that would be my second choice. But if a van or a pickup and camper isn't your cup of tea, then you might consider an RV, uh, maybe a used city transit or school bus, uh, a military truck, a U-Haul, or some other type of rental truck. You know, these are a few examples of the options available. I don't really recommend cars because they don't have a lot of room. They're not very comfortable to try to sleep in. Uh, they, they're kind of hard to pack. And if you have, you know, any additional family besides yourself or even pets, it gets very cramped and very smelly uh, trying to live in a, in a car. So some kind of a, a truck platform would be the best in my recommendation. Um, you know, I've even seen old limousines converted to BOVs. And while they're limited as far as where they can go, if kept up and nice, they can appear quite normal in a city setting and go unnoticed but would be quite conspicuous in a rural area or in the woods. You don't really see many limos in those kinds of areas. But as a caveat, let me say that an RV would not be in my top three choices for a BOV. And the reason? Well, RVs are really quite flimsy in their construction. That is so RV manufacturers can keep the weight down because keeping them light helps increase fuel mileage. And personally, I would rather use a little more fuel and have a heavier, sturdier vehicle that will last longer. I mean, RVs are meant for vacations with the family once or twice a year, not for living in on a day-to-day -day basis, which you might find yourself in in a stink-hits-the-fan situation. So now that we've talked about that, another question I get from a lot of people is, what should I carry in my BOV? And the supplies that you carry are subjective to your personal and or family's needs, your geographic location, the topography in which you'll be traveling, and the time of year as well. Um, just as with your bug out bag, you need to add or switch your gear in summer versus winter and vice versa. But there is a core set of basics that I recommend you should always have in your bug out vehicle. And really you should have in any vehicle that you drive uh, you know, like a day on a daily basis. I mean, you should have water, a minimum of five gallons for two people, or 10 gallons for three to four people. Um, you should have shelter goods, like a tarp, tent, trash bags, blankets, sleeping bags, etc. Uh, food, and you need enough to get you to a safe area where you can replenish your stock. And if you have to travel to some place where you can't get to a grocery store, then you, you should have at least a two-week supply. Uh, that would be my minimum requirement. Um, an alternative heat source, especially in winter, like a Coleman lantern is the best choice. It generates heat, 
can be used for signaling and cooking, well, at least heating food. Uh, and even in summertime, there are some places that can get quite cold and you might need a little residual heat and a Coleman lantern would, would work just dandy for that. And like I said, it gives you a little bit of light. So if you need to see to do something, uh, that would that would be a good choice. Extra clothing, uh, especially layers for winter, or to change uh, in order to remain cleaner once the clothes you're wearing become soiled from perspiration or dirt or however else you might uh, find your clothes getting dirty. Um, now, for the vehicle itself, you should have tools, uh, enough to work on your vehicle, a repair manual for your specific vehicle, and you can find these at just about all auto parts stores. Uh, Chilton and Haynes are the two companies that make them. And I actually would recommend that you get one Chilton and one Haynes because they kind of complement each other. Chilton, uh, what they don't show you in there, they show in Haynes and vice versa. So Chilton and Haynes auto repair manuals for your vehicle. And make sure you get the right year that matches your vehicle and has all the specifics in there because it'll tell you as far as fluids and uh, torque specs on bolts and just all kinds of stuff that you might need to know. And you don't have to be a full-fledged mechanic to be able to work on your vehicle. If you have the tools and these manuals, you should be able to affect any repair that you might need on your specific vehicle. So those are very important things to have. Uh, an LED flashlight or headlight for working on your vehicle preferably a magnetic flashlight that you can attach to the area uh, and it'll illuminate the area you're working on so you don't have to hold it in your hands when you're trying to do repairs. Uh, work gloves to protect your hands. Safety glasses. Uh, if you needed to lay down under the vehicle and work on it, you don't want debris falling in your eyes and, and uh, causing blindness or anything like that. So you want to have safety glasses that will protect your eyes from anything that might fall off the vehicle while you're wrenching on it. A good jack. Uh, two jack stands to support the vehicle in case you need to raise or work under it. And to go along with those jack stands, I recommend two pieces of, of at least 18 by 18 inch, three quarter inch plywood that you can use as a base to set the, the jack stands on. Because you could be in loose sandy soil or dirt or mud and jack stands are just going to sink right into that kind of, uh, that kind of ground. So if you have the, the piece of plywood under there, three quarter is very strong. It'll hold up well and it'll support your vehicle. And you don't have to worry about the jack stand sinking in and the vehicle possibly falling on you. And I carry two pieces with me all the time. And I just lay them down in the back underneath the, the tarp in the back of my vehicle. And uh, they're out of the way, but handy when I need them. Two rolls of Gorilla brand duct tape. Uh, that's kind of self-explanatory, I would think. Duct tape is really good for a lot of things, but I, I recommend the Gorilla brand because it, it, it adheres to itself very well and it adheres to other surfaces very well. It's good stuff. Uh, shop towels to be able to wipe off your hands and tools when you're done or clean up parts on the vehicle that you're trying to repair. Uh, a pair of ladies' knee-high stockings. Yes, I said ladies knee high stockings. And you can you can even get these like at the dollar store. They come in a little plastic container like uh, what you used to get out of the bubble gum machine as a kid that got your little prize. And knee high stockings come in, you would not believe how many times it can be used for repairs and I've used them. I have actually made a fan belt out of a pair of ladies knee high stockings and some duct tape. Um, I tied it around the pulleys very tight and then once that was done I wrapped it with duct tape and I was able to get 
15 miles to the nearest auto parts store to buy a new fan belt for my vehicle. You can also take the stockings and let's say you have a hole in a radiator hose. You can wrap the stockings tightly around the hole and tie it off and then wrap it with duct tape. And that creates something like a pressure bandage that you would have on a wound on your body. And it can either reduce or completely mitigate the, the leak until you can get someplace to replace the hose. Um, so lady stockings, knee-high stockings come in, I mean, very handy for a lot of things. Uh, a can of Bee Laster Penetrant. And you can find that at any auto parts store or even places like uh, the big box retailers, Walmart and whatnot. Um, the Bee Laster is excellent, excellent penetrant for loosening up rusted and stuck bolts. And I never go anywhere without a can of it. So always have that in your, your vehicle bug out toolkit. Um, and then one of the last things I would recommend is emergency fuel. And you can buy this at auto parts stores. They're, they're little containers of emergency fuel that will get you places. Uh, like if you run out of fuel, you, you have three or four of them, you dump them in. And so you can get to a, a gas station to fuel up. Now with the wrenches and, you know, the tools and wrenches, I recommend that you have two sets of SAE and metric wrenches. And a lot of times you can buy the sets that have SAE and metric in the standard sizes. But you should have two sets. And the reason is, is there's been a lot of times I've worked on a vehicle and I'll have a bolt head and a nut that are both half inch. And maybe I only have one half inch wrench. And the metric wrench size is either too small or too big. That's the equivalent and it doesn't fit. So if you have two half inch, you're good to go. Um, and it's, you know, if you broke a wrench or if you drop a wrench or lost it, then you have a backup as well. So you know, the old saying two is one and one is none is a very good saying. So you should have two sets of wrenches, a good set of one quarter and three eighth inch sockets with all the sizes you'll need to work on your particular vehicle. There's nothing more frustrating than going to loosen a bolt and you find out that you don't have a wrench or a socket that's big or small enough to fit on that particular nut or bolt. Um, as well, you should have one set of half-inch deep well sockets and a half-inch socket wrench. And the half-inch wrench is good for loosening really tight, stuck, or rusted nuts and bolts. Uh, a half-inch socket wrench is bigger and a little bit longer than a 3 8 and it gives you a little more torque. And I also recommend getting a good set of extensions for your sockets. Uh, these come in very handy for all of the out-of-the-way and hard-to-reach nuts and bolts. Also have a good 3 8 and half inch breaker bar. Now, what is a breaker bar? Well, a breaker bar is a long piece of steel with a, a head that swivels back and forth that your socket attaches to. And it's used to loosen or break loose stuck nuts and bolts. If you try to do it with a socket, you could strip the gears in the socket head and then the, the wrench would be useless. So a breaker bar is a very handy thing to have. And along with your breaker bars, you should have a three-quarter diameter by 18-inch long piece of black pipe that you can slip over the end of your breaker bar to use as a persuader. It gives you a little more leverage to loosen overly tight nuts and bolts. Um, these tools can also double as weapons in the case of looters or marauders. So it's always good to have the things on hand that you need um, because trying to repair a vehicle... 
and not having the tools is so absolutely frustrating. Now, there are some other miscellaneous items that I recommend, um, especially if you have babies or small children, say under the age of five, then you should keep a backpack or a bag with extra diapers, um, pull-ups, if your child is beyond the diaper stage but still needs some pull-ups at night, uh, baby wipes, clothing, food, water, and things of that nature. Uh, and keep this in your vehicle. This bag should be kept separate from the one that you use on a daily basis when traveling with your tiny youngsters. That bag is there in case you have to bug out and will come in handy in case of needing to be away from home for an overly extended period of time. Now, some of the things I didn't talk about that are kind of common sense are keeping you know your vehicle in good mechanical working order, you know, such as checking the fluids. Um, I recommend doing this once a month, making sure your oil and your antifreeze and windshield washer fluid and everything is topped off and looks good and is ready. Your vehicle's ready to go. Check your tire pressure. Make sure all the tires are inflated to the proper, in, you know, specs that are listed on the tire. You don't want to have a vehicle that maybe you don't use every day that when you jump in won't start or won't run properly or has a low tire and can cause you a lot of uh, frustration down the road. So make sure that you take the time and, and keep everything in working order as best as you can. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of today's survival show. This is White Bear again. I hope I've given you some good food for thought and that you really gleaned some good information to give you a basis for your bug out vehicle. Again, be sure to go to todaysurvival.com and check out the forum and the website. If you're going to purchase from uh, Amazon, please do so using the link on the Today Survival Show website. And it doesn't cost you any more, but it does help Bob out a little bit, gives him a little bit of a profit. And, uh, it's been really great doing this. Again, I'd like to thank Bob for trusting me enough to take his baby and kind of run with it. And I hope to catch you next time on another episode of today's Survival Show. Thanks for listening.